Our uh, text today is in Genesis chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 21 through 9, verse 17. So verse 21, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth on every bird of the air on all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea they are given into your hand every moving thing that lives shall be food for you I have given you all things even as the green herbs but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we have here this morning. And Lord, we thank you for um, your covenants, for your promises, for your oaths that you've made for our benefit. And Lord, we come here this morning to hear from you and we pray that you would speak mightily through our pastor, through Paul, that you would use him for your glory that you would give him clarity of thought and clarity of speech and that you would spend him for your glory. 
So use your servant Paul, Lord, to bring your word to our hearts and give us hearts to receive, ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us today. Lord, we're here to hear from you. Change our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to um, announce or re-announce, on Wednesdays, don't forget the Bible study. We didn't do it this last Wednesday because we couldn't get up the hill. But um, the spirit of the Antichrist, this is it's going to be the second one, the second installment of probably 18 to 20 weeks of doing this. It'll take a while to, to get through. Uh, it's a DVD series by J.B. Hickson, and um, I strongly recommend it. I strongly recommend that you come along. We had a very good turnout last time, uh, which was encouraging. And, um, you know, I do think that we're living in times that we need to be, uh, we need to be aware of what's going on um, to be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. And sometimes Christians are not very wise. They don't they're not very good interpreters of uh, what's going on in the world. We need to be awake to what's happening. Uh, not for its own sake, but for the sake of understanding what the Christian approach is, the biblical approach to these things. So uh, please come a, a, along to that. I strongly recommend it, 6.30 on Wednesdays. If, uh, By the way, if anyone's wondering why... Gina is not here because she's been at a conference in San Diego, and I'm picking her up after the service uh, today, so I appreciate your prayers for that. We're going through a series called The Oaths of God, and I know it's not a very attractive title, but I... I kept going backwards and forwards about what would be a nice title, and I thought this title really underlines what I want to convey in this, in this series. It's going to be quite a series because it's going to go, take us through the Bible. It's going to be a journey through the Bible. Um, and I want to, to uh, underline here that God commits himself to doing certain things. These are big things upon which all of the other things that he uh, says will happen or that do happen are connected. And these big things are included in the covenants that he makes. It's very important to understand the covenants that God has made, both in the past with others and then with us as well, so that we feel that we are part of the story that it's not just something that happened thousands of years ago, but we're in the story because we're part of God's covenants too. And those covenants, he has taken oaths to fulfill. And an oath from God is better than an oath from man. Why do do human beings take oaths? Why Why are they sometimes required to take oaths? to be held accountable, to tell the truth, 
to put themselves solemnly under an obligation to convey that which is true and right. Well, God, of course, he, uh, he being God, he is truth. He can speak nothing but truth. So why on earth does he make oaths? Why does he make covenants? He doesn't need to make an oath. He just says whatever he says, and it's true. Well, he makes oaths for us. He makes oaths for us. It's a condescension. But that does not mean that when God makes an oath in a covenant, and we're going to look at the first covenant in a minute, that we can use our independent reasoning, that we can use our ingenuity to get round what God has said. And I'm afraid a lot of good people, good Christians, they do just that. God has made covenants, um, for example, not to bring a flood upon the earth. There are Christians who believe that was a local flood. Well, if it was a local flood, then guess what? God has not kept his promise, has he? Because we've had quite a few of those localized floods, some really bad ones. Um, He's made covenants with Israel, the nation of Israel, which means that those covenants must come through. Israel is in rebellion against God right now, but they will come to God when they look upon him whom they pierced, the remnant will repent and they will be established as a nation before God just as he predicted. And the church, even though this is more controversial, I don't know why it's controversial, but when we get to it, we'll explore this. The church is also covenantally related to God. So if you're a Christian, you're in in covenant with God. And God is in covenant with you. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are testifying to yourself, to God, to the devil, to those around you, that you're in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. You're not under the law, you're not under the old covenant, but you are in the new covenant. God has made that with you in Jesus So covenants are extremely important to God. In fact, God's name, Yahweh or Jehovah, is a covenant name. Okay, That's his covenant name. The name Christ or Messiah in the Old Testament is a covenant name, has strong covenant associations. All of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they're all covenant sacrifices. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, therefore, is a covenant sacrifice. You see? So you might not think very often about covenants, but God thinks a lot about them. And so we need to be people who are made aware of, of just that very thing. Now, let me, um, this is a, I know it's a long introduction, I'm sorry. This is the second half of the introduction right now I'm going into. I'm going to ask you a question. 
The question is a profound question, and I expect a profound answer. Okay, are you ready? So here's the profound question. Will God bring upon the earth a global flood again? Good. Why not? Because he just said he wouldn't or because he made a covenant that he wouldn't? That's how you know there isn't going to be another flood. You say, well, what's profound about that? What's profound about that is that without knowing it, the reason that you know there isn't going to be another global flood is because you have taken the oath of God at its word and it's settled for you. Now what we need to do is that we need to take the other oaths of God that he's made and they need to be settled for us too. And then we need to understand the Bible based on the oaths that God has taken. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm here at the first covenant in Genesis chapter 8. And in order to understand this, and don't worry, this is not going to be a a big, long, drawn-out sermon. It'll only be a couple of hours long. So, um, we need to actually not to start in chapter 8. We need to start in chapter 6, because in chapter 6 is the first mention of the word covenant in the Bible. So quickly flip over to chapter 6. Chapter 6 is one of the weirdest oddest, strangest chapters in the whole Bible. Okay? Um, There is so much in Genesis chapter 6 that is implied, some things that are clearly taught, but we want to know more, we wish we knew more about. There are things that I think we should tie into, some of the things, the phenomena that we see in the world that we just kind of, yeah, that's interesting, but we just pass over it. It starts off like this. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, do you see the contrast there? That they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. This was before the flood. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Okay. Now, um, that's, some, that's some of the strangest um, words in the whole of the Bible, are, are right there. And we're not going to dive and delve into them because that's not what the sermon is about, but it provides a background for understanding the flood. So here's a quick overview, Okay. And you're going to want to ask questions and you're going to want to, um, you know, have more detail. But too bad. (laughs) Because that's not what I'm talking about today. All right. 
But here, here, this is, this is what you need to know. The sons of God, the Hebrew term there is Bene Ha Elohim. It is used only in one other book of the Bible. That's the only place in Genesis. It's used in one other book in the Bible. Can somebody tell me which book? Anyone's smart? Job. It's used in the book of Job. Okay? When the sons of God came and Satan came with them to present themselves, the sons of God there, the Bene Ha Elohim, they are angels. Okay? They are angels, clearly, in the book of Job. Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. Okay? Written before Genesis. Which means Moses would have been familiar, probably, with the book of Job and the way that he used that term, or the writer used that term. So in using that term here in Genesis chapter 6, he is implying that angels cohabited with humans. And I know what what you're doing. I already know what you're thinking here. You say, well, what about what Jesus said, okay, about marriage? Angels can't marry you, neither are they given in marriage and blah, 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 yeah? All of that stuff, yes? Well, it doesn't say that they can't procreate. It just says they're not given in marriage, okay? Angels, when they appear in the Bible, are always men, They always appear as men. In fact, sometimes they're even called men. Okay, in Ezekiel they're called men. In the book of Revelation they're called men. Okay, but they're obviously angelic. Now do with that what you will, but the text is saying that angels cohabited with female uh, human beings. Moreover, they produced an offspring who were also odd. There were giants on the earth in those days. The uh, Hebrew term there is Nephilim. And I know that there are people that go way off on some of this stuff, okay? And they, uh, they like to quote the book of Enoch and go into all of that. The book of Enoch is not inspired, and the book of Enoch says, uh, well, uh, let me ask you this. Who do you think the book of Enoch identifies as the Messiah, as Christ. Enoch. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong, totally wrong. Okay, so be careful. The book of Enoch might have some stuff in it, okay, as a historical record, but as far as its understanding of uh, who Jesus, uh, who Christ is, it's wrong. But nevertheless, there is material here which says that there were giants on the earth. Now, um, if we don't get into all of this today, we'll, we'll come back next week on this, okay? Don't worry about it. But, but most of you are aware, you, you will know about Stonehenge, yes? Okay? Some of you may have seen it. I mean, it's not the most impressive thing in the world, but it's still pretty impressive. And some of those stones there, I mean, they're like, 30, 40, 50 tons, okay, stacked on top of each other, and so on. It's also arrayed in a certain way, so that it's a calendar, okay, and a very, very accurate calendar. It's an extraordinary thing. It's not the only thing. I mean, it's, it's megalithic, which means that it's before anyone knows who did it, 
But it's not the only thing in the world. I mean, in Peru, you've got stones, massive, massive stones that are put one on another, on another, on another. Some of these stones are 100 tons. And they are beautifully put together so that you can't put a piece of paper between them. Then you have the Incas building on top, and you can tell the Incas stonework from this other earlier stonework. Who lifted those stones? You say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that. Fine, but the stones are still there. I mean, they still, they're not going to move because you don't like them or because you don't want to think about them. Okay? Over in uh, the Middle East, there's a place called Baal Beck. Baal Beck, yes? There is a stone there that is chiseled out there that is over a hundred tons. In Ohio and other places throughout America, you know, there are mounds. Did you know about this? Did you know about the mounds that are found in America? The Indians, um, am I allowed to say that? Native Americans, even though they're not really native. But, but the, 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 um, the Indians, the tribes there, they... Uh, they say that we didn't make them. But these mounds are extraordinary things. Who did it? People who had extraordinary abilities, both mechanical, mathematical, and as far as strength and power and so on, to do these things. I believe... There's only hints, but I believe it has to do with these people, these men of renown in Genesis 6. They built these civilizations. They built these places. And they were all over the world, which accounts for why there was a worldwide flood, I think. Not that Genesis 6 pins the blame totally on them. It doesn't. It pins them on men and their wickedness, their evil in chapter 6 verse 5 then the lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and he hasn't got any better either so god decided to wipe them all out everything every creature wiped the whole thing out And, of course, Noah was told to make an ark, which he did. And God brought the animals to the ark, and that's why we're here. And that's why our doggies are here, and our cats are here, and so on. I wish we had more information about all of that stuff. But that's it. Okay? That's it. So the first mention of covenant in the Bible comes in this weird context. In verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, talking to Noah, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And it continues. 
The flood comes, verse uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8. And at the end of chapter 8, Noah finally gets out of the ark and he offers a sacrifice to God. Okay? There's a picture over there that you, you should guys, guys should have a look at it that, that talks about this. He builds an altar, and it says in verse 21, The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, so who's he speaking to? Himself. Himself, that's right. I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And then as a poetic passage in verse 22 while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer and day and night shall not cease that's the uh, uniformity of nature spelled out for you in the book of Genesis you say what's the uniformity of nature the uniformity of nature is that today is going to be the same as it was yesterday and tomorrow which means you can you can do scientific experiments. Okay? There's a guarantee there of uniformity. You can't do science without uniformity. Okay? It's right there. It's part of the Christian worldview. That's why Christians were, were the ones who uh, were responsible for the great scientific revolutions. Okay? And they use that as their basis. So that's God speaking to himself. After the flood, there's going to be a, a uh, as it were, a stage for history to play out until God is ready to change thing and bring, things and bring in the kingdom of God. So we are on the stage, as it were, of the uh, Noahic covenant. Okay? The reason that things are about the same, you know, and predictable and so on, the reason there are seasons, the reason there's uh, calendars and so on, is because of the Noahic covenant and the way God has set the world up. People have tried to mess with that. The French, during the French Revolution, they tried to have a 10-day week. didn't work out very well. Other people have tried to do it. It doesn't work out very well. Um, So God has set things up, and it's all based on his covenant oath. The covenant oath is in verse 11 of chapter 9. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, Never again that shall there be a flood to destroy the earth, which is basically God telling Noah what God had already said to himself in verse 21 and 22. What did I tell you? Was it last week or the week before? What did I tell you about God meaning what he says? Okay. What God says is what he does. What God thinks 
is what he says is what he does. You say, why why are you saying these simple things? Because sometimes we think things in our own minds, but we, and we say something different, and we do something completely different than that. God's not like that. God thinks something, and he's right, and he does it, you know, thinks through it. He says it, if he wants to say it to his creatures, and then he does what he says he's going to do. There's a correspondence between God's thoughts and his words and his actions, which means if God has spoken words to you and he has acted towards you in saving you, okay, there are not some private thoughts in God's mind saying, well, maybe not, you know. You don't have to second-guess God. Moreover, when it comes to the Word of God, you don't have to spiritualize it. Okay? God says this, but oh, it really means this. Okay? No. That's you replacing God's words with your words and believing your own words. Just believe what God says. You say, well, I don't understand it. How can that be? How can there be giants? How can angels? Hey, that's not your problem. Your problem is to believe what God said. And what you don't understand and what I don't understand Guess what? It's going to be revealed at some time in the future. For right now, God demands faith. God demands faith. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, the son of man is going to be, he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the elders, and they're going to mock him, and then they're going to scourge him, and they're going to crucify him. And they didn't understand. Peter didn't understand so much that he says, far be it from you, God. This is, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. What did Jesus turn around and say to Peter? That's it. Are you going to take God at his word or not? Or are you going to reinterpret it or try and contradict it? Folks, do you understand that this is essential to grasp You say, a kid can understand this. I know. There's grown-ups that have a problem with it. (laughs) Believing what God said. All right, so God is speaking. That's my second point there. God speaking to himself. And what God says to himself when he uh, declares that, okay, that's what he's going to do. There are a couple of areas, a couple of um, scriptures where God relents. He's called, you know, we're using human terms. He relents. Okay, for example, with Ahab. Okay, but still, that's on the basis of Ahab's repentance. If Ahab hadn't have repented, then it would have happened to him just as God had said. Because God, you see, is compassionate also. God has said, let me put it in very blunt terms, God has said that a person 
who remains in their sin will perish. And perish means go to hell. So that's God's word and he will come, he will be as good as his word to the sinner. But the sinner can also choose to repent and God will have compassion on him or her. Okay. The third point here that I had, I didn't write it out because uh, I wanted to kind of be more free-flowing in this message. The Noahic covenant is about one thing. It's about one thing. In verse 11, that's the oath. This is what God has, has covenanted to do, not bring a great flood upon the earth again. Okay, a worldwide flood, not going to happen. Some people have tried to add certain things to this and say, well, this has got to do with the setting up of government and it's got to do with the setting up of this. And Well, look, they may be certain things that uh, maybe can be implied from the passage, but the thing that the passage is about is that God is not going to destroy the world again with a flood. Let's move on to... The fourth point. The fourth point is this. This covenant was made a long time ago. This oath. I mean, good grief. 4,000 years probably. 5,000 years ago. I mean, we can't just, we can't just believe that now. Obviously things have changed. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Okay, surely God will change his oath. Surely we can tinker with these covenants of God. You know, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant and so on. Surely these things are fulfilled, for example, in the church. Yes, that's what we're told by many Christian leaders. Good men, yes. But you see, what they're saying is that God doesn't mean what he says when he takes an oath to do something. To, to put it in just human terms, it's like you putting your hand up like this, putting your hand on a Bible and saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and then lying through your teeth. Because you don't. You're not going to say what you really mean. Folks, God always says what he means. Now, sometimes he couches it in certain terms, okay, for his own reasons. The parables were for judgment, okay? Christ started teaching in parables as a means of judgment. So people who uh, would be in the know, they, they would get it. People who had already rejected him, they wouldn't see, they wouldn't get it. Or occasionally they might get it and realize, oh, he's talking about us. And they get angry at him instead of repent. But God means what he says. Go to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Let me see how, see how this plays out. Thousands of years later. 
Isaiah 54. I'm, I'm nearly finished here. <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse 4. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. He's talking to Israel here. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, just in case you don't know who he's talking to. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says our God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. God remembers his covenants. God remembers his covenants. This last week, um, I was talking to my daughter, who said, well, you know, she had an unsettled night. And I said, well, well, what's the problem? And she said, well, I just, sometimes I just get, as it were, attacked about uh, my salvation, you know. And she, and she has doubts about her salvation. And I said, you know, we talked about that and we went through a whole bunch of verses. And one of the verses that I took her to was Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I said, how do you know? I mean, he's just said it. I know. I mean, I realize he just said it. But how do you know? How can, what can you take to the bank here? Have you trusted that Jesus is your savior? Yes. Do you believe that he died for your sins on the cross? Yes. Do you believe that he rose again from the dead for your justification? Yes. So the means of you having eternal life is based in his eternal life, which means that he can convey that life to you through the Holy Spirit. Yes, I believe that. I said, also, do you realize that God has made a covenant with you in the blood of Jesus Christ? And do you realize that God has made a covenant with you in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son? That means that your security is not, you're not kept by your own power anyway. You're kept by the power of God unto salvation, it says. 
He that began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. It's based in an oath that God has made. And by application, okay, this is the last few words of my sermon, the application from everything we've just been considering uh, with Noah and all of the weird stuff in chapter 6 and so on, the application is this. You can trust God with your soul. You can trust God with your soul. And he is faithful. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, help us, because doubts do come about your word and about uh, what it says to us. We wonder if we've had faith sometimes. And sometimes uh, we have questions that we want answered. And sometimes we find ourselves trying to interpret the Bible in ways that just make it smoother for us and easier for us. But, Lord, help us just to believe what you say. We won't have all of the answers right now. But we glorify you when we believe that you mean what you say, especially when you've taken an oath to do a certain thing. And, Lord, you have taken an oath to save us in Jesus Christ. And it's as good as the oath that you made to Noah. And that you reminded Isaiah of. You're not going to change the oath. You're not going to change the covenant. It means what it says. And all that are in Christ Jesus will be saved. They have passed from death unto life. They are sons of God. They are adopted into God's family. They are heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ, who is not only their Lord, but is also their brother. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed a covenant God. In Jesus' name, amen.